Jesus is teaching the model of prayer, first of all, he says, when you pray, say. Praying is saying. There's nothing wrong with having inward thoughts and inward emotions and, and an inward thinking system that you have toward God. But when it comes time to pray, he said, get somewhere alone, get in a closet, shut the door, and then open your mouth and say. Speaking is important when you pray. David said, I have believed, therefore I have spoken. There's something supernatural that happens when the beliefs that you hold inwardly are uttered out of your mouth out loud. It's the same kind of thing in a natural sense. A lot of people hold value and appreciation for their loved ones, but they rarely communicate it to the same level that they hold it on the inside. And then, you know, someone dies and you see people having a breakdown at the funeral. And part of the reason they're breaking down is not just because they missed them. It's because of all of the things that they left unsaid. Gratitude not expressed and gratitude not given is gratitude that is not brought to its full fruitfulness. It's not enough to just feel it. You have to say it. The same thing about prayer is true. We hold faith on the inside. We hold a general belief that God will be with us, that he will hear us, that he will help us. But a lot of church people simply do not pray. And when you hold those beliefs about God and when you have a high view of God, you ought to make it a practice to speak out of your mouth what you deeply believe in your heart. So Jesus said, when you pray, say. And then he gives the words, what, to, what words to use in prayer. He said, start with our Father. Wanting you to draw the correlation and the connection that the God of the Scriptures the God that created heaven and earth, that God is your father. That the God we read about that blessed Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God that spoke to Isaiah, the God that subdued kingdoms, brought some high, leveled others low, that God is your father. And acknowledging verbally the relationship that you have with him by saying our father, will frame the rest of the prayer in proper perspective. Our Father in heaven. When he says to say in heaven, he's not telling you to acknowledge God's location. It's much more about God's position than his location. By saying in heaven, he's revealing that heaven is the parent world. It's the creative world. It's the governing world that rules all of the issues going on in this lower world. The scripture says that heaven is his throne, but earth is his footstool, meaning everything going on in the earth is up under his feet, that he sits in judicial authority over all of the affairs that happen in the earth. So when I say our father in heaven, I am acknowledging and making my soul acknowledge it by speaking it out of my mouth and hearing it with my own ears. I'm making every part of my being acknowledge that whatever I am going through, the problems that I'm dealing with down here on earth, it is all subject underneath his authority. It is all up underneath him, our Father in heaven. And if you don't believe he has all power and all authority, don't even pray. You're wasting your time. 
If you're going to go to God, you have to go to God knowing that he is able. And I just want to tell you, in case you need the encouragement, whatever you're in today, whatever you're going through today, God is able to handle it. He has the authority to handle it. He has the power to handle it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The name of Jesus is essential in prayer because when we pray, we pray to the Father, but we pray through the Son, Jesus Christ. We pray to the Father. Jesus never said to address a prayer to him personally, but Jesus said to the disciples, whatsoever you ask the Father in my name that he will give you. We're too sinful to approach the Father in our name. The Bible says no matter how holy, no matter how righteous, no matter how clean you try to be, our righteousness before Father God is like filthy rags. But we have the ability to approach him regardless of our sinful state if we approach the Father through the Son in the name of Jesus. I start every one of my prayers this way, Father in the name of Jesus. Before I say anything else, I want to make sure that I've set the model right. I want to make sure that heaven is listening to me. I want to make sure I'm going to get this prayer through from the earth all the way into heaven. And if you ever want to just make sure you're doing that, Father, in the name of Jesus. So he said, he, he's teaching this point. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. This also teaches the prerequisite of praise before asking for provision. Notice how early this clause is in the prayer. Our Father in heaven, immediately, hallowed be thy name. Before you've asked for anything, before you've brought up any of your needs or your problems or your requests, before you've done anything, you've hallowed and honored and worshiped the name of Jesus Christ. This infuses your prayer with praise, and prayer that is infused with praise will bring God's presence wherever you're praying. I'm going to say that again. Prayer that is infused with praise will bring God's presence wherever it is that you're praying. If you're praying at the doctor's office, it'll bring God's presence down into the doctor's office. If you're praying for a loved one at a nursing home, it'll bring God's presence into the nursing home. If you're praying in your car on your way to work, it'll bring God's presence in your car on the way to work. Whenever you start infusing your prayer with praise, the presence of God shows up. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. This is one of the... It's not as bad as it sounds, but I'll say it this way. It's one of the tricks to getting on God's good side. Before you ask anything for yourself, pray that his kingdom come. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God. I mean, you may have so much going on in your life, and you just need to pray about it. You need to tell God all about it. But before you say any of that, pray thy kingdom would come and manifest in the earth. That gets God on your good side. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, let the kingdom of God manifest in my life. Then Jesus tells you to ask for what you want, for what you need, for whatever's going on in your life to be helped and aided by heaven. And he teaches this by the give us clause. Give us. This teaches us humility because it forces us to acknowledge that we have needs only God can supply. 
And it also continues the praise clause because give us is a praise in and of itself because I wouldn't come and ask you for something that I didn't believe you had the power and authority to grant to me in the first place. When you go and you ask somebody for something, in a way you're praising them because you believe they have what you're asking them to give you. You wouldn't go up to a bag lady on the side of the street and ask her to borrow $5,000 because you don't have the confidence that she has it. But if you go to somebody and you ask and you have confidence and faith that they have what you're asking for, then in that moment your asking is a praise. Give us, and then he says this clause I, I, I want to focus on this day, our daily bread. Everybody say this day. this day. The now factor is important in your faith. As a believer, you have to know that it's not just that God had the power to save you and forgive you of your sins back when, you know, whenever it was you got saved. But the God that saved you also has the power to keep you against whatever you're going through this day. With God, it's always now. It's always this day. Faith is always now. You can't approach a now God with yesterday's faith. You have to build up the faith now to approach him. Hebrews 11, the descriptive chapter that gives us the description and definition of what faith is, starts now faith. Faith is always now. No matter what you've accomplished in your relationship with God in the past, it doesn't matter. Every morning, you start brand new. Faith is always now. Give us this day our daily bread teaching us that I cannot fight today's battles with yesterday's bread. I cannot get today's solutions with yesterday's answers. I can't move forward into my future with what I have been feeding and feasting on in the past. So give us this day our daily bread. Now. God knows how to feed you according to the season that you're in this day. I'm going to say that again. God knows how to send provision according to where you're at this day. And as you mature in God, he changes up the diet. As I alluded to in my opening remarks, the whole reason that Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, and his sons became the 12 tribes that would become the nation of Israel, the whole reason they ended up in Egypt anyway is there was a famine in their country, and they heard that Egypt had bread. God planted Joseph there to have favor with the Pharaoh. And for a while, Egypt was an instrument of God's blessing to Israel. I want you to think about that. For a while, for a season, Egypt was the instrument that God was using to feed and sustain and bless Israel. But just because God uses someone to bless you does not make that person your source. Oh, yeah. 
Israel got more focused on the one God was using to feed them than they were on the God who was feeding them himself. And God used Egypt for a season, but what was once a blessing became a bondage because they got their eyes off of the source. Quick note, blessings become bondages when you misappropriate where they came from. What's blessing you now could become a bondage to you if you take your eyes off the real source of it. You say you got a good job, I'm happy for you. You say you appreciate your boss and the people you work with, I'm happy for you. But that is not your source. As a believer, you have to know my source is God Almighty, the one who reigns. Over the course of my life, he's used a lot of people in a lot of places to bless me. But no matter where I go or what season I transition into, the source is the same. When you understand the source, you can't lose your blessing when you lose your job. You can't lose your blessing when you lose people. You can't lose your blessing when you lose opportunities. You can't lose your blessing when you lose a house or a car. When you understand the source, you can take everything I got. You still can't take my blessing because my blessing is tied to God who sits on the throne. But if we are not careful, we'll turn the one God used into a little God and start bowing down at a shrine of lower ability. And this is what Israel did. So when God finally delivers them from their season of bondage, not only does he have to change their location, but he has to change their diet. Because for years they've been learning how to eat in an enslaved, impoverished environment. And you can't be blessed like a conqueror when you're eating like a slave. For 400 years, they've been eating provision from a man's hand. That was the first level of it. Now, the provision ultimately came from God but on this first level, God was sending it to them through the Egyptians, and they were eating from a man's hand. For many times, those of us in the New Testament faith, believers today, we go through this first stage where God sends our provision through a man's hand, and it is a legitimate form of provision. It's just the lowest level. Jesus said in Luke 6, 38, give and it shall be given unto you good measure, Pressed down, shaken together, running over, I'll cause men to give into your bosom. That's the first level of provision. But the problem with this level of provision is when you start to put your confidence in the one God is using to send it to you. And so this is what Israel did. They begin to put their confidence in the Egyptians because the Egyptians were powerful. The Egyptians were stronger than they were. And the Egyptians were their, the, the ones that were feeding them. And so God let them learn that people are so fickle, they'll bless you one day and enslave you the next. That's what happened to Israel. They were being blessed in Egypt one day. Overnight, they became slaves. And when God brings them across the Red Sea, he breaks their bondage. When God brings them across the Red Sea, 
it was a paradox because part of them was thankful to be free. But part of them was wondering, where's my next meal going to come from? This is the true challenge with deliverance. It's the true challenge of wanting to be free. Because God broke the backs of the Egyptians in order to free them. But he also broke the backs of the ones that were feeding them. And Lord, I'm so thankful and happy to be free. But I'm hungry. What does provision look like in this stage? So God changed the methodology of their provision. They went from eating from a man's hand to God said, Moses, tell the people in the morning, I'm going to rain down bread out of heaven. And bread rained down out of the sky for them in the morning. It was that second stage. They went from eating from a man's hand to now eating from supernatural provision. In other words, I'm being provided for, but I can't explain to you where it came from or how it happened. Right Now, when they saw the manna the first morning, they walked outside of their tent and they pointed to the ground and they said, manna? In Hebrew, manna means, what is it? It's a word said in question form. Manna, what is it? And at first, they didn't like the manna. And let me tell you why. Here's the problem with supernatural provision. Somewhere in the space between when God gives you a promise and the promise being received, there's always a space between when you receive uh, or you hear about the promise and then you receive it, the manifestation of the promise. There's always a space in between. And when you hear about God sending you bread and you're an Israelite, you begin to imagine what the bread is going to be like. And the only point of reference you have for imagining what the bread is going to be like, you have to go back to your slave mentality in Egypt and remember the bread that they fed you. It's the only point of reference for bread. They've been there 400 years. So when God said, I'm going to send you bread in the morning all night long, they're imagining what the bread's going to look like what the bread's going to taste like, what the texture's going to be, what the smell's going to be. And God promised bread, and he sent bread. But he never promised he would make it look like, smell like, taste like, feel like what you had before in your past. And so they walked outside and looked at a bona fide blessing with God, but it didn't look good, it didn't smell good, it didn't taste good to them because they were envisioning what they had had in their broken environment. And this is why it's hard for broken people to really be blessed by God because you prayed for a husband and when God sent them, you looked outside and said, man, what in the world is that? Because when God promised that he was going to send you somebody, you start imagining what it would look 
look like and what the texture would be and what the shape would be and what the smell would be. But the problem with your imagination is your only point of reference is the broken environment of bondage that God has brought you out of. So what you were expecting in your promised period was for God to make something up that looked like your broken period and God's never going to do it. So God did what he said he would do, and you didn't want it because it didn't look like, smell like, feel like, taste like the bondage that you were used to. Manna. Manna. You asked God to bless you with that job, and he did. But you had no idea the expectations that healthy, sound, whole people put on that kind of service. Because you were raised in a broken environment. And your first job was in a broken environment. And when you come from a broken environment, normal to you is not normal to them. What's good to you? You know, good isn't good to you if all you've known is bad. I'm going to say that again and get off the point. Good isn't good to you if all you've known is bad. There was, there was a, a article in a psychology magazine, and they were talking about how some people get intense anxiety in calm environments. And they will actually start fights in calm environments because it's too peaceful for them. Because they were raised in such tension and warfare that they don't feel the nostalgic, warm, fuzzy feelings that the rest of us feel unless the environment is getting crazy, unless plates are flying and breaking up against the walls, and unless stuff's being thrown all over the house, unless curse words are careening against everybody. They don't feel normal in normal because good isn't good if all you've ever known is bad. So it wasn't enough for God to, to change their location, take them out of bondage. Their, their location has changed, but they're still as bound as they've ever been. And they're looking at a blessing that God himself cooked on the stove of heaven. And they're saying, what is that? I wonder how many times you've looked at what was a blessing that God sent you. And because your mind wasn't ready for it, you said... What is that? So, so he has to teach them. He has to retrain their palate. He has to teach them what's good for them. And teach them what is good to them. And he does that in the wilderness period. In that second stage of supernatural provision. And I want to be careful that you see this point. Jesus brought this up, that what is it? Jesus told the Pharisees, he said, your forefathers ate manna in the wilderness, but I am the bread that has come down from heaven. And the same thing that their forefathers did to the manna in the wilderness, they did to Jesus. 
They looked at Jesus, and because he didn't look like what they thought Messiah would look like, because he didn't smell like, and the texture wasn't the same, because it wasn't what they imagined, they rejected the bread that God sent them and looked at him and said, what is it? Crucify him. Give us Barabbas. Because they weren't prepared to receive the blessing that God was giving them. And what they did when they crucified him was they made their blessing available to another people. The Gentiles you and I were locked out of the covenant of God until the Jews said, what is it? And when the Jews stuck their nose up and said, what is it? The Gentile nations of the world said, I'll take the bread. I'm starving to death. My soul is hungry. I want to lose my mind. I'm guilty. I'm wrong. I need to be fed in my soul. I will take the bread. And every time you crucify a blessing, you make it available for somebody else who's hungry. And God hates waste. If you don't want your bread, he will give it to somebody else that's hungry. Throw your hands up and say, give me the bread. So, so God is sending them supernatural provision. And after they finally got over the what is it phase, the second problem with supernatural provision is well, quite, quite frankly, for some of us planners, it makes no sense. Some of you administrative people, you organizers, you would have hated this blessing. Because you know what God said about the manna? He said, you can't store it. You can't stockpile it. As much as the entire family needs for the day is going to fall outside the tent in the morning. It'll be there ready for you. Never more, never less. And you got to go get it every day. This would have driven my wife crazy. She does our grocery orders on, online, and she has this all, that she has a, like a mapped out program for everything the kids are going to have, the snacks, the dinners, the lunch. I mean, everything is organized. It's like a science You'd have been in trouble in the Israelite days dealing with that manna that was just going to fall every day. You had to count on it to fall. So the second thing about supernatural provision, it forces you to live by faith. I don't know where the next check's coming from, but I believe it's coming. I don't know how we're going to get the refrigerator fixed, but I believe God's going to enable us to do it. I don't know how we're going to get a new carburetor for the car, but I've seen God do it so many times before in my life that I just know somehow. Well, how do you know? I don't know how I know. I just know somehow. I believe God is good. You ever have God provide something for you and you couldn't explain just how he did it? You ever had a blessing hit your life and you couldn't add up on paper how blessed you were in reality? You ever had God supply needs for you over and above and when you add up the month and you add up your money you can't make it make sense on paper it's supernatural provision <laughs> last thing about it last thing that's frustrating about supernatural provision if you're in this stage is when the manna fell you can't get so odd by the supernatural happening, bread's falling out of the sky. You know, it's easy to get awed by that. 
But you can't get so awed by that chase, by the supernatural provision, that you get naturally lazy. I'm taking too long. You can't get so awed by supernatural provision that you get naturally lazy. Because when the manna fell, it didn't fall in their mouths. It fell outside the tent. So they had to go out and naturally gather what God had supernaturally supplied. And some of you are going to see that happen in your life in 2020. You're going to have to go out and naturally gather and scoop up what God has supernaturally supplied. That's what your job is. It's your bucket for you to go naturally gather what God's about to supernaturally supply. And he fed them this way for 40 years. Watch the transition. They've been eating bread, leeks and onions in Egypt from a man's hand. Now for 40 years in the wilderness, they've been eating bread from supernatural provision. God's just been raining it down. But when they finally approach their promised land, they sent 12 spies in and stepped into the promised land. And the Bible says when they crossed the Jordan and they stepped into the promised land, when their feet got into the land that God promised them, the scripture said that the manna ceased. What do you do when God has been supernaturally sustaining you for 40 years and all of the sudden the blessing I don't know about you. I need to hear a message on that. I don't need anybody to preach to me and tell me what to do when God's sending the manna down. I need someone to tell me what to do when the manna. God stopped the blessing. He stopped the provision because he was getting ready to transition them to a higher level of feeding. You know you're about to level up when what used to feed you isn't falling anymore. By shutting down the manna, he was provoking them to take their promise. Lest they get complacent on the outskirts of the promised land, stuck on the outside looking in. He forced them to make a decision. Sometimes God will force you into transition. And when he does, you think he's killing you. When he does, you think he's unkind. When he does, you think, God, how could you do this to me? Been feeding me 40 years and it's been all right. How could you shut this down on me now? It's because if he kept the manna falling, you'd never storm the gates of the promised land. If he kept the manna falling, you'd never sharpen your sword. If he kept the manna falling, you would never learn to grow up and take dominion and take that which God has destined for you. He had to shut it down. So he sends, he sends 12 spies in. And 10 of them were stuck between stage one and stage two. 
Stage one, the bondage mentality, eating from a man's hand. And stage two, relying on supernatural provision, you know? And, and there are stages where you do that. There are stages where we all do that, where you, you just rely on supernatural provision. But God intends for every person who at one time has had to rely on supernatural provision to eventually grow up and learn to take dominion and feed your own self. I'm in a fight right now. I don't want to tell you this. I didn't want to tell you this. I'm in a fight right now that I don't know if I can win. I really don't. I'm in a fight with one of the strongest wills I have ever seen, my two-year-old Samuel. I don't know why you're laughing. You must not know him. He's got something in him. He is a warrior. And, and we're trying to wean him off the bottle and off the passage. Because it's time for him to grow to a new stage of provision. But every time we try to take that bottle away, it's like he's saying, oh, you want to sleep tonight? <laughs> give me my passive. You don't give me my passive, no sleep. <laughs> and so far, he's undefeated. He's 19 and 0. Nineteen and zero, flawless record. I hadn't won one time. If he only knew the provision that was in front of him, he wouldn't agonize and cry and terrorize me over trying to take away from him a lesser form. And for some of you, the pain you've been going through and the emotional outburst and all the crying and shaking and all the, why has this happened to me that you've been doing is God simply trying to remove a lower form of provision and upgrade your eating to the next. What you think is a giant, what you think is a problem, what you think is an adversary, what you think is going to take you out is God introducing you to a higher form. So I'm done. They sent 12 spies in. Ten of them came back like my little boy Samuel, and they said, absolutely not. They saw giants. They saw, I, I just, I'll just read it to you. See if this don't, uh, go back to uh, book of Numbers. Numbers 14, 1. I want you to see this. Look on the screen. Numbers 14, 1. Look what they said and see if you can't hear my little baby in this somewhere. Numbers 14. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried. 
and the people wept all night. Imagine God showing you a life he wants to give you and you looking at it and going back home and weeping all night for fear. And then they said, and this is the crazy thing, but it's, it happens to us in our New Testament walk. Remember how I said the Old Testament is like a model and a symbol for, but then they said it would be better for us to go back to Egypt. They were standing in the third stage, promise. But it got so frightening and the conflict was so real that standing in the third stage, they wanted to backslide back to bondage. And so many people do. Because quite frankly, it's easier to get it from a man's hand. sent the 12 spies in. 10 of them come back. There's no way we can do it. They got an army. They got giants. There is no way that we can do this. And, and then Joshua steps up. And I love what Joshua said. Go, go to the next verse. Yeah. I already talked about that. They said, let us select a new leader, which is, is crazy to me, considering all that Moses had, had done and seen them through. But Joshua said in verse 6, or in verse uh, 8, if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Joshua and Caleb understood every time God transitioned them to a higher level of blessing, he changed the source of their bread. In Egypt, it was the Egyptians from a man's hand. In the wilderness, it rained down from heaven. But now in the promised place, their bread was going to be the enemies that stood in front of them. Their bread was going to be the giants that threatened them. Their bread was going to be taking things that belonged to the enemy and taking dominion and coming into full possession of everything that God had promised them. And I just wanted to share these few minutes with you to tell you the thing you've been crying about, it's your bread. The thing you're facing that you do not understand how you're going to get over or how you're going to make it through, that giant is your bread. God's using that situation to give nutrients to your spirit. God's using that situation to pour calories and vitamins and minerals into your faith and build you up. God's using the giants around you to be the nutrient system that fuels you to grow to the point that you can stand up and possess the promises of God. The thing that you are afraid of, that thing is your bread. God didn't bring Israel... 
that far on that journey to leave them stranded? God hasn't led you this far in your life to leave you stranded and helpless and hopeless. The problem is you're standing in promise with a mentality and with eyes that are still stuck between stage one and stage two. And you don't see yourself for what you really are. You don't really understand there's a champion underneath you. There's a champion in there. You got scars and you got fears and you got hurts and you got pains and you've had some losses, but you've never been standing where you're standing this day. Give us this day our daily bread means something different depending on the stage that you're in. Give us this day our daily bread in bondage means, Lord, send it through a man's hand. In the wilderness, it means, Lord, rain it down out of heaven. In the promise, it means go find me a giant that I can knock down and then take all the stuff that he's been standing in front of. This is what David did. David was carrying stage one bread to his brothers, bread and cheese, on the battlefield while they were all hiding from Goliath. And as David was extending the bread in his hand to them to feed them from a man's hand, he looked up with stage three vision and saw a big giant loaf of bread named Goliath. And David started licking his chops because he realized the kingdoms behind that loaf of bread. My future's behind that loaf of bread. My wealth, my money is behind that loaf. You mean all I got to go do is eat up that loaf of bread and I can have the palace? Your giant is your bread. Your difficulty is your bread. What's threatening to break your heart and break you all the way down? It ain't nothing but your bread. And by the time you finish eating up this challenge, another one's going to pop up. And when it does, don't let your heart be troubled. Remember, the same God that grew you to the place where you could gobble up that one is growing you to the place that, that no man, this is what he told Joshua, no man can stand against you all the days of your life. But you got to stay hungry. You got to stay willing. You got to stay open to seeing God use you to bring down giants. And if you do, you'll get to the place where God trains you with trouble, where God feeds you with adversity, where you can't get a good full feeling unless you've been on the battlefield. God says, in blessing, I will bless you. In multiplying, I will multiply you. And as I bless you and multiply you and take you through the stages, your diet's going to change. The methodology of how I bless you is going to change. But the source remains the same. If God be for you, he's more than the world against you. He did not bring you this far to leave you. You're going to eat this thing up, lick your chops, get the nutrients from it, and move on to the next one. Stand to your feet and give God a praise all over the house.